Taylor Swift shows the NFL that she is the biggest entertainment product in the world. Sainsbury's in the UK doubles down on their retail media network. And the most recent ABS household spending data makes for bleak reading indeed. Welcome to Signal. My name is Ben Shepard. Signal number one uh, focuses on Taylor Swift's uh, takeover of the NFL. Um, So Taylor Swift, as I mentioned earlier, is um, dating or reportedly dating Travis Kelsey, and she's been going along to some of his games to watch, which is a totally normal thing to do. Um, And she went along last weekend to the Kansas City v New York Jets game, which is in New York or New Jersey, to be more accurate, um, in East Rutherford. now, she just sort of turns up, doesn't seek any attention, um, goes in the suite and, and, and watches the game. People were anticipating um, that she would turn up. So the promos on NBC who were carrying the game um, were running Taylor Swift music. Um, the whole thing was sort of will she or won't she. Anyway, she, she turned out to the game. Uh, Kansas City beat uh, New York Jets. Uh, and in the process, the ratings came out and they were massive. So it was the most watched game of the NFL season to date. It equaled the season kickoff, um, but but beat it on on overall. And it was the highest rating Sunday night television show of any format since the Super Bowl earlier in the year. So if you want the numbers, an average of 26.7 million people watched the game and it peaked at 29.2. So for comparison... Week one of Sunday Night Football drew 20.1 million viewers. So you can see the impact um, that Swift, Swift has and, and this, this kind of cultural moment is having. Um, what was also interesting is, is Swift attended the game with a bunch of pretty famous people, um, but she, such as the sort of magnetism of her stardom um, I think people didn't really pay a huge amount of attention that there was the likes of Hugh Jackman, Blake Lively, Ryan Reynolds um, in the crowd. Now, what's really interesting about this for anybody who follows sports media is uh, sports commentators are paid quite a lot of money. Um, however, it's acknowledged largely that commentators of sport have no, I mean, they have a lot of focus on the air, but they have no real impact on the ratings. The, the ratings are dictated by the game, by the narrative, by the story of the, the teams and the players. So when you get a big commentary box change in the US, like you've seen in some recent years across the NFL, you've got a big commentary box change in the NBA at the moment across ESPN. The general consensus is the talent is important, but you can, they're interchangeable. So it's really unprecedented to have bumps for sport viewing unless there's like a massive uh, sort of in-game narrative. So to give you an example, Aaron Rodgers' first game for the Jets, he was coming across um, from the Packers. He's a relatively high-profile sort of contentious figure in the United States. That was a big storyline. That, that, sh- that game rated really well. Um, however, normally the ratings for NFL are pretty consistent, right? So... Generally, it's been accepted that really the only thing that can move ratings is so the power of the game, the importance of the game. Swift has just blown that all up, right? So, like I said, it's really unlike it's really unusual, almost never, that you have um, 
uh, a ratings change due to on-air talent, let alone an attendee, but such is the power of Taylor Swift. So she is going to watch a football game, and as a result, millions more people who wouldn't normally watch that football game decide to tune in to watch her watch the football game. Now, a large chunk of the gains were in younger girls, so 12 to 17, but you also had pretty big gains in women 18, 24, and 35 plus. Um, so you've got pretty big numbers of um, audience who probably don't watch a whole ton of NFL but are stuck with the game. So for the NFL, this is fantastic. This is a, a younger audience that they've probably given up on, right, that they've coveted but have just never seen anything of huge interest en masse with the NFL. And and it's all due to the fact that Swift's just basically doing what many of us, including myself, like doing, just hanging out with friends, watching the game. So for the NFL, I think the situation now is how you expose or how you capitalise on that exposure or whether the exposure is, is effectively fleeting and it's Swift only um, and, and it's unlikely to carry across. But but whatever happens, right, it's a, it's a wild ride that we're on right now. Uh, Ryan Reynolds on Sunday, he was at the game. He had organised with Donna Kelsey, who is Travis Kelsey's mother, to bring along a character from the State Farm ads named Jake. So Jake from State Farm was in the box and he was sitting with Donna Kelsey and he was taking advantage of this this huge kind of mass appeal. (laughs) Um, So, you know, you, you got this sort of iconic moment for State Farm uh, a couple of weeks back, Swift went to another Chiefs game. She was wearing a pair of New Balance 550s with red trim. Um, those shoes immediately became must-have, sold out, um, which is which is, is is incredible. She was also wearing a Chiefs jacket, um, just a normal merchandise jacket. Again, the demand for that became became huge. So it really got me thinking, is, is Taylor Swift bigger than the NFL? The NFL is considered by many, including me, <laughs> to be the biggest entertainment property in the world. You know, its TV rights are unparalleled. Taylor Swift goes to a game and she bumps the audience by 20%. It's just astonishing. Um, Now, what's been really interesting to watch is how a lot of the uh, male media are just losing their shit over this. It's it's incredible. Um, I can't see how any of this is impacting the game or any of the things they like or the guys they want to see on the on the screen um but some of the uproar from some of the outlets like barstool's been one um some of the more sort of dude or chat-esque type um either twitter personalities or 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 media is it's kind of odd um i think if if any sport any sport (laughs) would kill for this to be happening um and, and I just can't see how it's impacting anybody's enjoyment of the game. If anything, for a lot of us, it's making it significantly more interesting. So uh, hopefully it continues. I think for clients, look, the implication on something like this is a lot of the time to try and jump on board. If you think about the Jake um, from State Farm element, that's a really cool initiative, but it's driven by the fact that it's Ryan Reynolds, right? So Ryan Reynolds has direct lines to people like Taylor Swift. So he has the ability to get a lot of things done, but but he's one in it's a handful of people that level um, of connectivity. You've seen some other brands, I won't go into them, have tried to tap into it, but by the time these things clear legal, 
uh, all the administrative layers, production, um, amplification, often the moment has gone. Um, so like I said earlier, we, we, we saw the 550s, we saw the Chief Jacket, we saw the Ryan from State Farm. Those things all worked really well, but they come and go really quickly. And I think for the thing with, with Swift is, look, it's pretty hard to jump on this with any credibility. And because she's such a, that's a fascinating character, it's really unlikely that any kind of corporate attempt is going to be more interesting than she is. So what I'd say is, is sometimes it's okay to sit these things out in trying to be sort of quote-unquote part of it. But the one thing that you can absolutely embrace is the huge viewing increases that come with it. So if you're an advertiser on Sunday Night Football and you're seeing these 20% increases purely due to the fact that Taylor Swift is at the game, that is a monumental audience bump um, that is so valuable to those brands. Um, So, look, I don't think it's going to continue. It's going to fade out at some point. But uh, I think we've, I think the NFL is now saying that perhaps they're not the biggest game in town and Taylor Swift might actually be bigger than an entire sport. Signal number two is around Sainsbury's uh, and its uh, emerging retail media network. So... Sainsbury's, uh, if you if you don't know, is a, a large supermarket chain in the UK. Uh, it's it's all over, you know, I'd say hundreds, if not thousands, of stores. Um, like most large retailers, it's launched a retail media network. Uh, however, it has done it a little bit differently. So, for its physical retail media network, which is uh, screens in stores, it's partnered with a business called Clear Channel, which is a large outdoor. Um, out-of-home provider. Uh, it's really big in the US, pretty big in the UK. It doesn't operate here, but think about it like an O-Media or a JC to Co. So they have announced um, last week that they're going to add 820 new screens to this physical retail media network, um, and they're really going to sort of amp up what they're doing in this physical space. Um, now, what they're claiming it can do is they've got these big sort of 75-inch screens, so it's kind of like a mega, mega sort of large TV. Now you put it up on, on portrait style, um, and what they're saying is it gives Sainsbury's themselves and brand advertisers increased flexibility to push out campaigns tailored by location, weather events, competitions, and what they call other contextually relevant factors. This matters, I think, Look, it's, it's a pretty kind of mundane announcement, but it does matter. And why it matters is that retail media, predominantly in Australia, is really discussed around on-site. And as we talked about last week, I believe, uh, on-site grocery accounts for about 6 or maybe 5% of total transaction volume. So it is absolutely not the main game. If anything, it's a very, very sort of side game. And the physical outlet is really where things are really happening in terms of that massive spend volume. And so far, the retail media initiatives in those environments en masse, right, you've got some handful of things, Cartology, Mixin have done a pretty good job with physical. But some of the others have been pretty underwhelming, if non-existent. Um, And the reason for that, in my mind, is the, the web is an easier, lower cost way to launch a retail media network and it's much more capital light than putting 800, 1,000 screens, activating them, creating a sort of method of selling them. Um, that would be 
probably for most re- retailers too non-core to consider right now until somebody else has proven the model out. So for Sainsbury's, really what they, they have is they'll have a, a web-based retail media proposition. They've got a really strong physical um, one they're about to sort of expand and they have a partner in Clear Channel that can give them that expertise. So that's a, another kind of advantage they have because retailers aren't media businesses. They can hire a bunch of media people, no question, um, but at their core, they're not. So culturally, they're, they're a long way removed from, from the way a media business works. Having a partner doesn't negate that in, in sort of totality, but it does probably make it a little bit easier. Now, in Australia, this model hasn't really been pursued. Uh, most retail media networks have, have been developed, sort of owned and operated by large businesses. There has been a little bit of partnering with things like uh, Citrus, um, or Zitcher for some of the, the web-based elements. Um, and we've heard that Omedia Limited make a, made an announcement that they want to do something in this space and they've said they have a partner, but they've been pretty short on the details. We don't know who they are. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if the likes of QMS, O, Co, uh, et cetera, are probably looking at this and how they can partner with some other businesses like Clear Channel has with Sainsbury's um, to scale up this model, scale up this sort of panels in store. Because again, like I say, the majority of sales at the moment, the overwhelming majority are in retail physical outlets. I don't know if there's going to be sort of the, the rivers of gold or the wads of cash for people to show up on, on e-commerce sites or web-specific sites. I think it's going to be like materially changing for a business. I could be wrong but I do think that the physical outlets provide a massive, massive opportunity. So what's the implication here for a client? Well, there's two dimensions. I think there for a, if you're a consumer product manufacturer or marketer or a CPG marketer, ultimately you want presence where the consumers are making the bulk of their transactions. And that's the in the store. So especially on things like CPG, uh, it's much more valuable um, at that physical location. So I think you really want the Australian-specific retail media networks to start to hurry up a little bit in this space. That Clear Channel and Sainsbury's tie-up, I guess, sparks some thinking in the second way um, around which domestic retailers or retail groups could benefit from a partnership like the one Sainsbury's has with Clear Channel. I've got a couple of ideas that I want to share with you. The reason I think these are the best potential prospects is they have a, a wide portfolio. They're in a lot of different markets. They've got a lot of different outlets. They sell a, a broad amount of product and they sell a lot of volume. A large chunk of the sales are name brands, so they have sort of existing demand. If you're selling a ton of own brand stuff, who are you going to sell the retail media space to? There's not that many people, especially if you're manufacturing most of it yourself. And the last part is that these businesses are really yet to show much development in the retail media area to date. So I'm going to give you five that I think are ones to watch. So the first one is Accent Group, which owns a bunch of fashion outlets, uh, does just under a billion dollars of sales, lots of physical outlets, lots of strong brands, interesting verticals that they play in. To me, it feels like a, a, a pretty interesting proposition for them. Second one is Super Retail Group, which owns Rebel Sport, BCF, uh, Super Cheap Auto, um, MacPack, amongst others. Uh, again, 
some interesting categories to play in. They pretty much cover every different audience. They have some leading brands, massive market share, massive transaction volume. The third one is JB Hi-Fi. Um, consumer electronics is copying a, a bit of a sort of beating at the moment on the whole, but JB is holding up really well. They also own the good guys. So you've got two really strong businesses with strong web presence as well as strong physical presence that could be significant in this space. Now, if you walk into a JB, look, there are there's a ton of monetization that's going on outside of just selling products. So there's somewhat of the way there, but could you package it up a bit more formally? The fourth one is Bunnings. It's big. It's for everybody. Um, has significant B2B trade potential as well as B2C. It's one of the only ones apart from Officeworks that has that sort of dual audience. The last one is 7-Eleven. Now, 7-Eleven, um, my understanding is, has bought back a lot of the franchise stores. Uh, it sells a, a ton of um, sort of CPG-type products, all mostly name brand, uh, has a really high amount of leverage in suppliers, huge amount of patronage. Um, there's some really interesting things you could do within the sort of physical um, store with that. So those are my five. So if I was running an out-of-home business, which I'm not, um, I would be looking at how I could develop some sort of interesting sort of long-term partnership that could allow me to sort of roll out quite quickly um, an interesting physical um, network with this group, make it as turnkey as humanly possible so the core business, the Accent Group or the Bunnings can stick to what they do really well. Um, and ideally, my job would just be to provide them with dividends every so often <laughs> based on the success of this network. So anyway, that's my thinking. Uh, we'll see what happens. Let's keep an eye on Sainsbury's. Uh, and let's keep keeping an eye on the Australian retail media space too. Signal number three is around the most recent ABS household spending data. So look, I'll caveat this before I uh, go into it. Um, a lot of this economic data in the moment in Australia is, is pretty bleak. Um, and I realized how bleak it was when I sent um, a whole bunch of analysis I'd done to a CMO friend of mine. Uh, sent along to him and said, look, this is really interesting. That's really interesting. What about this? What about that? And he wrote back and he's like, yeah, mate, yeah, really interesting. But, geez, it's a bit depressing, isn't it? I thought, and I read it back, and it was just red lines, red numbers, declines. And I thought, geez, he's right. Um, now, in some sort of bizarre sort of glass half full way, I sort of think these declines are, are, are sort of opportunistic and there's moments that we can take advantage of. But at the same time, it is getting a little bit sort of dour um, reading these every month and and seeing the decline. So, so bear with me here. But uh, the ABS data for August in terms of household spending is out. Um, what they found was household spending was up 4.8%. Um, but the majority of this was driven by increases in the cost of food and increases in the cost of transport. Um, so services-based spending rose 9.8%. Now, that's driven by transport, uh, health, and then cafes and restaurants. So that was up. Um, majority driven by transport and health. Cafes and restaurants was a little bit up, but but not not hugely. Um, and goods-based spending fell 0.7%. And you had these massive falls in furniture and household goods sales, as well as alcohol and tobacco. 
Um, so I don't know, I always think when, when alcohol sales are, um, are down, it's either really bad or it's getting better. I'm, I'm not quite sure. They went up during COVID, but it was really bad. Um, so I'm not sure what to read of that. Um, but tobacco is, is absolutely not immune from the uh, cost of living pressures that we're seeing at the moment. Now, this matters in, in a way that's, I think, interesting. And also I find it a bit confusing. Um, all of these increases in spending are driven, being driven by non-discretionary areas. So 9.1% increase in non-discretionary items. Discretionary spending is, is flat. So it basically means that, that we, I, people in Australia listening to this, are paying tons more uh, for things that we really have to buy. We've got no option but to not buy them. Um, so at this sort of same time, we're seeing if you have a mortgage, if you're lucky enough to own a house, you're seeing these increases in interest rates, mortgage servicing. If you're renting, you're seeing massive interest, uh, massive increases in rents. We're seeing utilities prices going right up. We're seeing insurance prices go right up. So those things are costing more. Um, but then, so the interest rate rises, sort of flown on. Now, discretionary spending, which was pretty robust, right, has fallen off a cliff since the Q4 of 2022, which was probably the intention. But the problem is really inflation remains troublesome and the average household's having to spend so much more than they normally were to get the same because these purchases are non-negotiable. So then you sort of hear this, well, if inflation's not under control, do we need to move interest rates? And in some ways you're sort of thinking, I think we initially thought with this interest rate rise that we're all sort of being really flippant with our purchases and we're buying televisions and new couches and things like that. Um, now, whether we were or we weren't, because it doesn't matter now because we definitely aren't doing that now. We're just buying the things we need to buy. We're buying food and veggies and meat and sausages and, and things like that, or we're buying health insurance, um, and all those things are getting much more expensive. Now, the client implication, well, I guess there's one. If, if you're in the sort of food, uh, furniture, home furnishings, home equipment, that's the, the market has really gone backwards talking sort of double-digit declines, which is really significant. It's kind of a perfect storm, right? You've got this perfect storm of inflation. You've got this perfect storm of a whole bunch of demand that was satisfied during COVID that was pushed forward into COVID. And then you've got this other area. People just have significantly less money to spend. So that furniture purchase is probably being made if something breaks as opposed to wouldn't it be nice if and you're starting to see similar things with clothing as well so clothing's holding up okay but it's not necessarily growing so again you're probably going to be seeing people thinking okay can i hold off do i need to buy that um and, and what we'd seen for quite a lot of time was was small increases right which we're not really seeing at the moment the other big implication is the two biggest markets in Australia and, and the majority of focus of most advertising in particular is New South Wales and Victoria. Now, they're both backwards for the year when it comes to discretionary spending. So Vic is back 1% in terms of year to date on discretionary. New South Wales is back 1.6%. So if I'm a client wanting growth who's competing in discretionary categories, the only way I can get it is by stealing a significant share of competitors' market. Uh, it's not a zero-sum game. So you've, you've had this real massive shift, right? You had this shift 
from a growing market where everybody could grow at 5 or 6% and the really great businesses could maybe grow at 10% because the entire thing was rising and there was tons of demand. The market now is, is, is beyond that, it's even less than zero sum. So it's not like my gain is, is your loss, but everything sort of works out. It's ultimately that you need to still share just to hold on to where you were. So there's going to be some massive losers in this situation. And I think for marketers, again, I've been talking about this for a few months, is you're in a position where you've really got to convince people, one, that they need to buy what you're selling. Secondly, that they need to buy your brand over somebody else's. Um, and, and you've got to reinforce that. So there's there's a lot of heavy lifting to do um, for marketers. At the same time, we've got ad spend down. Um, it feels like it's going to be quite hard to, um, to to do that unless you sort of do have that commitment to spend more money on advertising or you've got a little bit of pricing power. Um, but right now what we're seeing is this discretionary purchase um, situation is tough. Um, I was interviewed for uh, a trade publication on my thoughts on what's happening uh, as we come into Christmas. So look out for that this week. Um, but But my view was... The market's incredibly short at present. Um, it's hard to know where it's going to go, but if the past, so the immediate past is a good reflection, the immediate future, you'd expect this sort of slowness to happen, especially when you've got data coming in from August, which isn't that long ago, that's still suggesting that the people's wallets are being kept relatively closed. So I don't see a whopping Black Friday, and I would say we'll have a subdued November um, and December. Now, what that probably means in real terms is is maybe a small decline in ad spend. Um, but look, I'm hoping hoping I'm wrong in that. But let's see. So, look, tough data. Um, really, really looking for green shoots. Didn't really see them in this release, but uh, um, look, hopefully uh, September gives us something a little bit better. Well, that's our show for this week. Thank you for listening. Um, before I go, I want to shout out two things. So firstly, I want to say congratulations to my friend Russell Howcroft and his partner on air, Ross Stevenson, for another great survey result. Um, They've been absolutely smashing the Melbourne radio surveys this year and pretty much every year since uh, since Russ started and, and going back um, with Ross many decades uh, but an awesome result. I know how hard Russell works on that show, uh, and it's great to see him succeeding so so frequently. It's, it's awesome. So, Russ, awesome, mate. Really, really great. Uh, secondly, I want to um, make notice of uh, a GoFundMe initiative that has been organised on behalf of Pat Crowley and his family. Um, Pat's two kids um, are both facing... Um, look, their their own challenges right now, um, and right now is is the time for the industry to get behind them in that moment of need. Pat's been um, somebody I've always admired and and has done always been open and accessible to me, and just a really great student of media and an awesome practitioner. Um, and look, I, I really um, yeah f- feel for him and, and his family. Um, 
and 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 hope the very best for them. So if you haven't donated, please do so. Um, I will share the GoFundMe um, in the show notes. Um, they've raised a, a, a ton of cash. I think at the last check they had raised um, $246,000. Their goal is $500,000, um, but a lot of different people have donated. So, um, yeah, do what you can for um, for Fletcher, uh, Pat's son, as well as the other son, Levi, um, and, and also... Uh, yeah, his wife, Anya. So, uh, Pat, we're all thinking of you. Um, and, yeah, we're all we're all in your corner. Uh, I'll see everybody next week. Um, we've got a really important thing to do on Saturday. So, uh, please, if you're undecided, I uh, encourage you to look at the case for voting yes. I know what I'll be doing. I'll be voting yes on Saturday. I urge everybody to. It is absolutely time we need to do this. Thank you, everybody. I'll see you next week.